0: Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to rate it, review it, or share it with friends. And if you enjoy this episode, please consider donating to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes. I want to take a moment to thank the sponsor of this podcast. Snake River Roasting Company is an organic coffee roaster located in the beautiful mountains of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And not only do they roast award-winning coffees, but their mission and commitment to supporting the rights of women farmers around the world are just incredible. I start every single morning with a cup of their Fire on the Mountain Organic Coffee Blend. And if you're anything like me and you're particular about what you eat and drink and how it's sourced, Snake River Roasting Company has a free shipping code for you to give their delicious coffee a taste. Head to their website, SnakeRiverRoastingCo.com, and use the code COFFEELOVE at checkout for free shipping on all domestic coffee orders. So while I love putting together topical episodes that are based on research and my own experience working with people one-on-one or as a group facilitator, the last two weeks, I've really been drawn to talking about things that are currently present in my own life. One, because I believe that we all have very little capacity at the moment, me included. And two, because I believe that if it's part of the human experience and i'm going through something then someone else out there listening is going through it as well and we all deserve to have safe spaces where we can have our own experiences validated or be introduced to new perspectives about topics that we've been struggling with i'm not a special unicorn and neither are you and That is such a relief. You know, we have shared experiences that connect us in our unspecialness, and that means we also have common and accessible solutions. So for me, something that came up several times in the last week or two was the topic of today's podcast episode, and that is speaking our truth and the power of boundaries and vulnerability in communication. Just that title alone is a lot to unpack, so let's just dive right in. If you have been awake and on the internet at any point in the last 10 years, then you've probably watched Brene Brown's TED Talk titled, The Power of Vulnerability. At the time when she gave the talk, she assumed that maybe a few thousand people would view her talk. Instead, it basically went viral overnight and became one of the most watched TED Talks of all time. And whenever something skids into the zeitgeist and explodes like that, I always wonder to myself, why? What is it about the message, the platform, the timing, and the audience that hit just right? And when it comes to her talk on vulnerability, I believe it is because it's the exact opposite of what we were all taught. And yet it's precisely what we all crave and really need. And if you haven't watched that TED Talk, or even if it's just been a while, I'm going to encourage you to check it out. You can find it on the TED Talk's website or on YouTube, and the title is The Power of Vulnerability. She said, there was only one variable that separated the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging, and the people who really struggle for it. And that was... The people who have a strong sense of love and belonging believe that they're worthy of love and belonging. That's it. They believe they're worthy. And to me, the hard part of the one thing that keeps us out of connection is our fear that we're not worthy of connection was something that personally and professionally I felt like I needed to understand better. And so here's what I found. What they had in common was a sense of courage courage. And I want to separate courage and bravery for you for a minute. Courage, the original definition of courage when it first came into the English language, it's from the Latin word cor, meaning heart. And the original definition was to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart. And so these folks had, very simply, the courage to be imperfect. They had the compassion to be kind to themselves first and then to others. Because as it turns out, We can't practice compassion with other people if we can't treat ourselves kindly. And the last thing was, they had connection, and this was the hard part, as a result of authenticity. They were willing to let go of who they thought they should be in order to be who they were, which you have to absolutely do that for connection. The other thing they had in common was this, they fully embraced vulnerability. They believed that what made them vulnerable made them beautiful. They didn't talk about vulnerability being comfortable, nor did they really talk about it being excruciating, as I had heard it earlier in the shame interviewing. They just talked about it being necessary. They talked about the willingness to say, I love you, first. The willingness to do something where there were no guarantees. They're willing to invest in a relationship that may or may not work out. And they thought that this was fundamental. I went back to the research and spent the next couple of years really trying to understand what they, the wholehearted, what choices they were making. And what are we doing with vulnerability? Why do we struggle with it so much? Am I alone in struggling with vulnerability? I sent out something on Twitter and Facebook that says, how would you define vulnerability What makes you feel vulnerable? And within an hour and a half, I had 150 responses because I wanted to know what's out there. And it was having to ask my husband for help because I'm sick and we're newly married. Initiating sex with my husband. Initiating sex with my wife. Being turned down. Asking someone out. Waiting for the doctor to call back. Getting laid off. Laying off people. This is the world we live in. We live in a vulnerable world. And one of the ways that we deal with it is that we numb vulnerability. And I'll leave you with this. This is what I have found. To let ourselves be seen, deeply seen, vulnerably seen, to love with our whole hearts, even though there's no guarantee and that's really hard, to practice gratitude and joy in those moments of terror when you're wondering, can I love you this much? Can I believe in this this passionately? Can I be this fierce about this? Just to be able to stop and instead of catastrophizing what might happen to say I am just so grateful because to feel this vulnerable means I'm alive. And the last which I think is probably the most important is to believe that we're enough because when we work from a place I believe that says I'm enough then we stop screaming and start listening. We're kinder and gentler to the people around us, and we're kinder and gentler to ourselves. And I hope that by sharing that, I've encouraged you to go back and check it out and watch some of her videos. They're so helpful and so beautiful. So let's talk about vulnerability, how it shows up in relationships, how we can create healthy boundaries around it, how we can communicate it, how to receive it safely, how to recognize it in others, and either show up or walk away when we need to. One of the questions I posted on Instagram this week was, "How was vulnerability handled or treated in your family of origin growing up?" And just a reminder slash disclaimer: Whenever I talk about or ask about or discuss our families of origin. I am not doing that to point fingers or villainize our families. It's just an effort to bring our unconscious stories and reactivity into our consciousness so that we can evolve and grow instead of being held captive in some self-sabotaging or rusted development. So my question was, how was vulnerability handled or treated in your family of origin growing up? And one of the answers I received was... Being vulnerable in my family of origin was pounced on, ridiculed, met with sarcasm, and used as ammunition. The message was that vulnerability is unsafe. It makes you weak and turns you into a target. The same goes for speaking my truth. It's gotten better, but it's still a challenge. The process of getting there is messy. It takes time. It takes practice. And you have to develop muscles. You have to make mistakes. You have to practice discerning who it is to be safe and vulnerable with. And when you recognize that someone isn't, you have to learn how to stick to your side of the street and remove yourself from situations instead of forcing someone to show up for you in a way that they are unprepared or unwilling to do. And that person Was so sweet. They told me that they learned a lot about that from listening to this podcast, which biggest compliment ever. So thank you. But I digress. So their story about vulnerability, not creating connection, but actually creating a situation where they could be ostracized is really important. To have your feelings turned into a punchline or become fodder for someone else's need to dominate or humiliate or to be weaponized against you with sarcasm, sends a very clear message, and that is that it's not okay to be who you are, to feel how you feel, or to communicate what needs to be said. And, you know, if you know me in real life, then you know that I am not a fan of sarcasm. I think it's one of the cheapest and lowest forms of communication. It causes intense separation at the expense of another. And when you look at the etymology of the word sarcasm, you'll find that it originates in a Greek verb, sarcasian, which translates into to tear flesh like a dog. Does that sound like a great way to create safety and connection with others? It doesn't. Sarcasm is generally punching down for a cheap laugh. And just because we're taught to do it in the media, whether that's in film or on TV, or it was just the language of the family we grew up in, or it was how we felt safe as we walked into the world, doesn't mean that it has to dictate how we communicate with others at this stage of our lives. And if it's a habit that was created in childhood, You know, lucky us, we have our entire adulthoods to find other ways to communicate our uncomfortable feelings. Because at the end of the day, that to me is what sarcasm actually is. It's trying to find a way to protect myself while communicating my uncomfortable feelings. Another part of that share was the process of undoing these things within ourselves or rewriting our internal scripts. And this person touched on something I try to speak about often on this podcast and in my day-to-day life, and that is that these things don't happen overnight. They're not meant to happen overnight. This is not some spontaneous, aha, miraculous moment. It's a process, and that process is not devalued when it takes time. I feel that this is a big issue in wellness spaces that I've witnessed. over the years, and I even hear it often on social media, and that if a change is not immediate, then it means nothing. And if a change requires consistent effort and intention accompanied by conscious action, then it must be outdated, and there has to be some quicker way. Something you'll hear a lot in any 12-step meeting is that if it took you 20 or 30 years to get lost in the woods then why would it take you just one meeting or just one stay in rehab to walk yourself out? Rewriting our scripts takes time. Developing new coping skills takes time. So why would we deny ourselves the coming to of realizations or the opportunity to build tolerance and capacity for new experiences? And I just want to reiterate that because if these things are taking some time in your own life and you get frustrated, that's you slowly doing these things in a way that has depth and weight and you're creating really strong muscle memory. And yeah, it might seem a lot easier for other people. You can look at how someone else is doing it and think, God, they just got it right away. But you know what? Maybe they'll lose it right away. Because... In the process of doing this over time and navigating life circumstances, we are building our muscles and our tolerance. I mean, all those experiences are necessary. So, the person who shared this also mentioned making mistakes in this process. And, plot twist <laughs> if this is an area of your life that you are working on, strengthening your vulnerability and identifying healthy boundaries, I can promise you that you're bound to make mistakes. And mistakes are not a detour from this path. That's what I was just trying to speak about. Mistakes are the path. That is how we begin to discern what works for us, what we want, what we need, and how to recognize these things in other people. And I know that there are a few of you out there who struggle with this aspect of developing new skills. And I am speaking to you right now because that's me too. I am the most August Virgo of all August Virgos, whatever that means. I'm sure there's some, you know, wise astrologer listening right now who can send me a DM and explain that. But what that means to me is that if I am not automatically an expert at something, if I am not automatically good at something, then I tell myself that this thing is not for me because I never want to take the chance of failing in front of other people or sitting with the vulnerability of my imperfections. And what a fantastic way to cut myself off from life experiences. And if that sounds like you, I am so glad you're here. You've absolutely come to the right place. It's truly not about that initial thought. You know, our first thoughts are... Very often wrong. Our first thoughts are our reactivity, our inner child, that tape that's been playing our entire life that has helped us to survive, but has most likely prevented us from thriving. And we now have the opportunity to listen to that first thought and say to ourselves, okay, I totally hear you, but you can relax now. I'm going to try this new thing and I trust that it will be okay, even if I am not perfect. And the final part of what they shared was about our interactions with other people. And I've touched on this in several recent episodes, especially in the Adult Children of Alcoholics episodes and the Boundaries episodes. And I like speaking about this because it reminds us that we are co-creating our relationships. And yes, there are people who are unsafe to be vulnerable with. We all cross paths with people like that. And if we are very honest with ourselves, we can acknowledge that there are times when we have been those people. Someone out there is walking around remembering us as someone they couldn't be vulnerable with. And not because we are terrible, but because we're human and we make mistakes and emotionally trip ourselves up sometimes. And the point of exploring this aspect of it is that we can develop skills that serve us better in identifying red flags as well as green flags to determine when, how, and with whom we can share things that matter to us. Some of us overexplain explain ourselves as a defense mechanism. We can also push people away with sharing too much information too quickly. And sometimes this is a way of almost vetting the other person to see if they will stick around. And in some ways, it's setting them up to fail because we are not meant to hear someone's entire life story or their traumas or their most profound heartbreaks within an hour, day, or even a week of knowing them because it takes time to build trust and tolerance in relationships. And on the other hand, some of us are completely guarded, and that's how we feel safe. We push people away. By depriving them access to us. And then we can shrug and say, See, I was right. I knew they wouldn't stick around. And we do this without taking responsibility for our own blocks or our energetic messages. In a few recent episodes, I have used the phrase, Don't go to the hardware store for milk. And that's pretty relevant when we're exploring vulnerability, communication, and boundaries. Because What can we expect when we bring our truth, wounds, or vulnerabilities to someone who has no capacity to meet us where we are? What is our intention in that situation? Do we think that we can hold someone hostage and force them to develop emotionally in an instant? We open ourselves up to finding the love, connection, and support that we crave when we stop trying to find it where it doesn't exist. And that is not easy. So many of us have been hardwired to do just that. We can have intense relationships and connections with people who can't show up for us. I'm not denying that. There's a lot of that out there. And while it's easy to point a finger and declare someone else emotionally unavailable, We also have to look in the mirror and say, why am I trying to force someone to do something that they have shown me that they don't want to do? So there's a balance there of, yes, observing what's in front of you, but also looking in the mirror and observing what's in front of you there. Whenever I lead meetings, I usually share something that I believe to my core, and that is that God never brings two people together to only help one of them. And in hearing me say that, you can say, but doesn't that completely contradict what you just said? Not really. I have no idea why we were brought together. Sometimes I'm the teacher, the student, or the lesson. And sometimes it's the other person. And sometimes we were brought together with other people So we can develop the emotional muscles to walk away. And sometimes I can't see myself or my harmful behaviors in a mirror, but I can see them in another person. And sometimes I see exactly who I want to be. Some other people who responded to that question on Instagram shared that vulnerability brings up feelings of shame, unworthiness, and being under attack. And that in their families of origin, vulnerability was met with ridicule, dismissal, punishment, or abuse, or simply not being allowed to tap into it despite everyone yearning for it. And this one person who answered put a phrase in quotes that made me tear up instantly because it just hit so close to home and tapped into one of my wounds. And what they shared was, If you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. And I know that some people can hear that and think that it sounds like an edgy thing that some parents say when they're fed up, and I totally get that. But for me, and for the person who shared it, it brings up much more complicated feelings of being threatened when expressing perfectly natural feelings of fear, anxiety, or discomfort in our childhoods. And for me, that phrase was used as a clear threat of intense physical violence. So it really does bring up big feelings. And I can definitely make the connection between being consistently physically threatened and hurt as a young child for having feelings or breathing or just existing, and how difficult it is for me to be seen as an adult, whether that is in relationships or work environments. My first reaction is always to flinch and want to disappear, even now, decades later, (laughs) because The tape in my head plays and says to be seen or heard means to put myself in danger. And that's difficult to admit. We want to believe that we can self-will ourselves out of these feelings or reactivity, or that maturing with age means that we shed these experiences. And that just does not seem to be the case. As a group facilitator, I always observe that people who know how to cry In complete silence, often have complicated and traumatic stories. So, for anyone out there listening who, like me, can cry without moving or making a sound, who knows exactly what I'm talking about or what circumstances would warrant that reaction, I just want to say that I see you and you are not alone. And from the younger version of me to the younger version of you, I believe that we deserved better. We deserve safety and to be able to express our feelings without fear. And if we didn't have it back then, I invite you to join me in doing this work to create that in our lives now. And there's a quote that I love by Jonathan Safran Foer in his novel, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. And I would definitely encourage you to read it. It's a beautiful book. But his quote was, I felt suddenly shy. I was not used to shy. I was used to shame. Shyness is when you turn your head away from something you want. Shame is when you turn your head away from something you do not want. And that makes me think, how much time have we all spent turning away from some part of ourselves that just hurts to look at? Whether that is our past, our actions, A relationship, some failure, or even what we see in the mirror. And how does that translate in our relationships with others? If we don't want to look at this one part of our lives, we probably work overtime to make sure no one else sees us or gets near us. And we decide for other people how they will feel about us when they know something about us. We decide for them what's non negotiable. We decide for them what they will judge us over or when they will turn away from us. And we do that to prevent ourselves from stepping into vulnerability and saying, you know what? I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know if it's going to work out. I actually don't know how they will react. And I don't know how I will feel if and when that happens. And instead, I'm just going to trust the process and trust the fact that I will be okay no matter what. And that's something to remember when we find ourselves blocked while trying to connect with someone or sharing something about ourselves that's maybe hard for us to say out loud or something we don't want to acknowledge. And that has actually come up for me a few times in the last two weeks, and I definitely handled it much differently than I would have in the past. And it has taken a lot of practice of walking slowly to meet my edges. By that I mean bringing myself into uncomfortable situations or conversations and checking in with myself about how I feel and realizing that speaking these truths will not kill me. Pain won't actually kill me. And the discomfort that comes up in these moments is not even the same thing as pain. And I also don't get to decide for someone else how they will respond to my truth. That's actually not my responsibility. There's a quote that I've shared on here in the past from an AA circuit speaker, someone that I really love listening to. His name is Bill C. And every single one of his talks is so inspiring and meaningful, whether you are an AA or not. He's speaking the truth. And I definitely encourage you to look him up and listen. You can always DM me and I can send you one of his talks. He said, Intimacy is very quiet. It's subtle, as most emotions are. And I miss it all the time. And unless I allow myself to be taken to places that I'm unfamiliar with, the spiritual experience isn't going to happen. It always happens when I'm uncomfortable or I'm in a strange place and I don't know the rules, and I don't know what's going on. And so his position is that if we don't allow ourselves to go to these places and relationships, then we're actually missing out. We're selling ourselves short. These moments of vulnerability and stretching outside of our comfort zones, they're not disruptions. They're actually opportunities. So how do we do that? How do we build intimacy and vulnerability when we're communicating in relationships. Did anyone ever teach you how to do that? (laughs) I definitely missed the memo. It was not something that was shared with me or even modeled for me. And so I am the first to admit that my own process and experience with this has been very awkward at times. And I'm still in process, still learning and still growing. And I hope that goes for the rest of my life. I never want to plateau. But when we're doing this work, a great place to begin with and to start is with ourselves. And if you've listened to any of my previous episodes, then you know that I'm all about calling ourselves back home and asking ourselves the questions that we initially believe can only be answered by getting outside of ourselves. And isn't it a shock that most often we just need to get honest and look in the mirror? And a good question to sit with, to really sit with, is this. Are we demanding or expecting vulnerability, honesty, communication, and connection without offering it first, without creating a safe space for it to unfold, or without demonstrating that we have the ability to receive it? Are we holding other people to standards that we are not holding ourselves to? What steps are we taking, and by steps I mean actions, not just words, to build and maintain intimacy, connection, and vulnerability in relationships? Because it's one thing for us to say, you can trust me, and it's quite another to prove consistently over time and with our actions that we are in fact trustworthy there are some simple practices that you can do with a friend or a romantic partner, or even alone, that can help strengthen your vulnerability and boundaries in communication. And the first of those practices is probably the most approachable one, and it can be done either alone or with another person, and that is eye-gazing. If you want to try this by yourself or you're not in a relationship at the moment, You simply sit cross-legged in front of a mirror, preferably a full-body mirror, and stare into your own reflection. With each breath, you release and relax your body, and you're going to be surprised by how long it takes you to bring yourself into a relaxed state. And when we do this practice, it opens us up and increases our tolerance around seeing ourselves and being present with all that we are when we are with other people. And if you're in a relationship, I highly recommend eye gazing as a regular practice with your partner. As cringe as that sounds and I'm sure someone's going to make fun of me about this, and I'm sure people I've dated are going to like <laughs> dm me and be like, "Yeah, this was creepy. You did this. It was it was really odd." But with your partner, You're going to sit cross-legged in front of each other, set a timer, and look into each other's eyes. And at first, it's actually really challenging, because it reveals to us how rarely we pause and sit in complete presence with someone we care about. And an important aspect of this practice is the silence. No matter what feelings come up, and you will definitely be surprised by what big feelings come up. You do not get to talk about it. You simply sit with the other person through it and you observe each other. If they laugh, if they cry, you are just with them and you are just present. And based on my own experience, your relationship will completely transform if you both do this practice for even 10 minutes a day for 21 days although I definitely believe it's a practice for a lifetime. The last practice goes a bit deeper. And again, in this one, you sit across from each other as you would while eye-gazing, but you begin asking each other timed questions. You begin with surface-level questions, and you slowly scale up the timer from one minute to answer to two minutes to answer, then to three minutes, maybe even going as high as 10 minutes to answer each question. And you cannot interrupt or ask questions after the initial question. So if you ask a question like, tell me what your life was like at 16, you can't ask any other follow-up questions while the person is answering. Now the person who is answering the question has to talk for the entire length that they're being timed. Now, why is that important? Because in doing this practice, we begin to break through barriers within ourselves that we don't even realize are there. We go so much deeper than the BS that we program ourselves to say. And I'm the first to admit, you know, my normal answer to everything is, I'm fine, or we'll see, or, you know, I just, I brush things off. So... A practice like this even forces me to go quite a bit deeper and not just answer in a way that moves me along to the next topic, because it focuses on our ability to be present with ourselves and to share that presence with someone else. So, for example, a question can be, what are you afraid of? And the timer could be set at seven minutes. And the first response may be something like, I'm not afraid of anything. I completely trust the universe and I'm ready for anything. Great. Well, now you have six minutes and 45 seconds to either sit and stare at one another in silence or the person answering can go deeper and begin exploring. You know, well, maybe I'm afraid of this one thing because this one thing that happened to me when I was younger and I always get a little bit nervous when I see this other thing. And so begins the falling away of our armor and protective layers. And it's a beautiful practice, but it also requires boundaries in our relationships. Because what is shared is sacred. It is private and is not to be weaponized in the future. So it does take some discernment to see if you and your partner are ready to commit to that. Relationships require maintenance. They require active connection and conscious effort. And I don't hear much conversation about that, which is why I mentioned some of these practices. There are worlds within worlds within worlds within each of us. And if you spend five months or five years or even 50 years with someone, it can either feel like a jail sentence or it can feel like a journey. Now, share shame is something that I always brought up with clients, whether that was in one-on-one sessions or even in the groups that I facilitated. Because again, share shame is not something we are taught about, but it is something so familiar to each of us. And you know what I'm talking about. You know that feeling when you are in the moment and your emotions are right at the surface And you feel so connected to the person you're speaking with. And you are so passionate about the topic that you're discussing. And you reveal something about yourself that is completely in alignment with what's being discussed, but it's also quite private and personal. And it feels right in the moment. And you're so glad you did it. But the further you get from the moment, the more you find yourself cringing and second guessing what you said. And you start wondering what the other person is thinking about what you said, and you can actually feel it in your body. You almost start shutting down in embarrassment that there is someone walking around on this earth who knows this thing about you, and you think you may not be able to survive that fact. That, my friends, is share shame. And it happens. And it's okay to reflect back on conversations and think about what it felt like to share or to reveal something about ourselves. But unless you have crossed some kind of intense boundary, sharing is beautiful. And that shame that pops up may just be your inner critic holding you hostage and trying to cut you off from connecting with others. And I bring it up because it does happen, especially in group work. You know, Somebody would share something with a group that was so deep and powerful and people would like cry and talk after the group and feel so connected. And then the person who shared wouldn't come back for the next two weeks because they were overwhelmed, like their nervous system was crashing with share shame. And if that happens to you, trust me, you are not alone. The name of this podcast is Love Letters and Mixtapes. And the inspiration for that was a desire to write, share, and talk about things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, three years ago, or yesterday. And if I was going to write a love letter to my younger self about communication, connection, intimacy, boundaries, and vulnerability, it would probably go something like this. Our right to take up space in this world, to be who we are to be seen, heard, loved, and respected has never been, nor will ever be, dependent upon other people's perception of us. No matter what home we grew up in, no matter what coping methods we have used for survival, no matter how impossible it can feel at times to make that leap into thriving, there is space for us, for our stories, and for our truth. There are people out there who will speak our language, who don't need an interpreter, who are ready, willing, and able to show up for us in those moments when we don't even want to show up for ourselves. We deserve the time and space to find our voice, to find ourselves, and to find our place in the world. And when we allow ourselves to do this, we find ourselves in the deep connection and conversation with the universe, with ourselves, with a higher power, and with those we love. These connections are spiritual experiences that sound shockingly simple, safe, and straightforward. It is a spiritual experience to say, I just wasn't as present as I should have been back then, and I need to say thank you because you are important to me. It's a spiritual experience to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Have I harmed you in ways that I am not aware of? It is a spiritual experience to say, I take full responsibility. It's a spiritual experience to say, I did not give you all the information you needed to make your decision. I lied by omission. And it's a spiritual experience to say, I forgive myself for the things I did when I was scared, hurt, lonely. Didn't know any better, or didn't think I deserved any better. And until next week, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Check out this week's playlist on my personal Spotify account and join me on Instagram at Love Letters and Mixtapes. If you enjoy this episode, please consider donating to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio.